Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. This morning we are getting into our last message of Citizens of the Kingdom, so I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 this morning, as Jesus brings the Sermon on the Mount to a close with a parable. I want to read actually what was sort of the beginning of the end of his sermon. If you read it, it took him eight minutes. It's taken us four Sundays. But uh, nonetheless, we're going to read it together. Really, this last section, really there are four tests, if you would, that Jesus gave as he had shared the Sermon on the Mount. This is what life in the kingdom looks like. That message would have driven people to Christ as a Savior and then begin to direct their lives. And this is what that new life looks like as a follower of Jesus, empowered by God's Spirit. Uh, Verse 13 and 14, and then I want you to skip down to verse 24 with me. Jesus said this at the end of his sermon, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Everyone, verse 24, then who hears these sayings of mine and does them, will be like a wise person who builds his house on the rock. But it did, excuse me, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, The floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount with a parable, which a a parable in the Bible is really just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. There's impact value that Jesus shares a story that many people could fully understand, even in our context here in the 21st century. We all understand the fact that there are two different people who built homes, but they chose two very different foundations. The houses looked the same, smelled the same, had the same TVs inside, and yet when the storms of life came and when the final storm of entering into eternity, death, happens, Those houses had two very different experiences. There was a wise man and there was a foolish man. The wise built his house upon this rock foundation, and yet the fool built it upon the sand. You know, the Sermon on the Mount really was about what it would look like for a person who would regard Jesus as the king of their life, their Lord, their Savior. Very different than the Pharisees and the the, uh, scribes that we read about referred to often in the Sermon on the Mount, who had an external form of religion, a churchgoer, all the outsides looked like they had their life together, and yet Jesus would contrast that with a true citizen of the kingdom, someone who truly believed and was a follower of Jesus Christ, and their life was so much deeper than just an external form of religion. And that's really what this, the whole Sermon on the Mount was about, is this is what it looks like if you were regarding Jesus as your King and your Lord. And at the end of the sermon, it really was just a challenge, an urge. What are you going to do? Are you going to enter into the narrow gate, that narrow gate that he described as a difficult way, and it's a narrow pathway, and, and yet there are few who find it, and yet it leads to life. And then he described another way of life, the, a religious life, if you would, 
uh, and, and any other way that you want to live your life. And it's a broad path, and it's an easy life. And yet there are many who find it, and yet Jesus warned it leads to destruction. These are important things for people to wrestle with. And as he closes out with this parable describing two different people in that audience that was there and throughout the centuries in churches across this globe, there are wise people and there are foolish people. And there is that challenge to deal with that self-evaluation and asking the question, where am I really at this morning? That's an uncomfortable thing to think about, isn't it? To really truly wrestle with, yet it's so important to discover what is it that we are trusting in. The Sermon on the Mount was about the Pharisees and scribes as they trusted in their external religious effort, yet they didn't have a true relationship with God. Last Sunday we talked about there would be many surprises on the day of judgment when many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we not do all these things in your name? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. You see, it's about relationship to God. That's the primary issue that's at stake. And really, it was about those who were in, in the audience who were listening, saying that they were going to be those that believe the right things. He's the Lord, and that's why they called him Lord, Lord, but he wasn't their Lord. And we might differentiate that. There we go. That took an entire college education to be able to get that out. I'm not even going to try it again. You heard it. You, you, you got it on. It's on tape. I said it right. It's the difference between a genuine believer whose house is built on the rock and a make-believer whose house is built on the sand. And it's not until you look deep in their lives what they're really trusting in in this day. A fake Christian, if you would, is what Jesus would describe. Now this is a different, there's, there's a difference between a make-believer and a genuine believer and a struggling believer. James affirms something that you and I all know very personally, right? He says, we all stumble in many ways. Can I get an amen to that? Right? Sunday through Saturday. It's a struggle this life. So don't equate that, I'm not perfect, nobody is. But a genuine believer has that desire, God, I want to grow. I want to move forward in my relationship. So today's parable, it's about these foundations, too. And you have to ask yourself this morning, what are you truly trusting in? What is the foundation of your life? So Jesus describes a, a one who builds on a solid foundation. Number one is this. It's a person who hears what God says. As Jesus said these words, whoever hears these sayings of mine, what sayings? Well, the sayings of life in the kingdom. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The principles in which a believer builds their life upon. If you reflect back on our series, you can begin, actually, I would encourage you to read through the Sermon on the Mount. You read through that sermon, you say, God, I can't do it in my own strength. I need you to help me. And what we learn through the Sermon on the Mount is that the beginning be starts with sort of the attitudes of self. How do you view yourself? We learned about that, that attitude, words like poor in spirit in chapter 5. Jesus described us as those who are meek or those who are merciful, those who are peacemakers. That's sort of the attitude of ourselves. He described them, our mission in the world, that, that the, the citizen of the kingdom is the salt of the earth. And he said, they're the light of the world. Let your light so shine that men and women would see your good deeds. What's he saying is that your life begins to transform from being a selfish person on that broad path to being a selfless person who's saying, God, you're asking me to make sacrifices to better somebody else's life. 
He described things like our attitude towards God's word, the law, where it says, you've heard it said, you should not murder. But Jesus wants to change the heart. And he says, but I want to tell you, I want you to, to, to get rid of the hatred that you would have towards another person. So a Pharisee would say, man, though they deserve it, I'm not going to kill them today. Thou shalt not murder. That's what the Bible says. And Jesus says, no, no, no. In my kingdom, we go a lot deeper than that, right? We want you to remove bitterness and hatred out of your heart. Isn't that a little bit more difficult? How many of you guys feel good you didn't kill somebody this week? How many of you guys actually did murder them in your head, though? <laughs> right? I was driving with one of my sons. Somebody cut me off and was like, your son is here. He's present. Be a good example. As soon as he got out of the car, man, just let it fly. Lord, bless him. Touch him. <laughs> Shake him. Our attitudes towards the, you know, the law, it's like, hey, Lord, it's, it's much deeper than thou should not commit adultery. He said, let's, let's remove lust from your heart. And he gave six examples of the law. Uh, how about this? Our attitudes about our motivations to do righteous things. The Pharisees in chapter 6, he described they prayed so that people thought they were spiritual. They went to church carrying a Bible so everyone thought, oh my gosh, look how marked up her Bible is. And, and it's like, you want to say like, oh my gosh, look at all these notes I have. Look how holy I am. He said a citizen of the kingdom, their motive is an audience of one. We come this morning not to impress anybody, but to say, God, I want to hear from you. We read our Bibles throughout the week because we want God to interact with us. We pray, we give, we fast according to Jesus, not to be seen as holy or righteous before other people, but to serve before an audience of one. God, I want you to notice what I'm doing because I want connection, relationship, he says, with our Father. Our attitudes towards our possessions. Again, these are principles that we heard about the things that you and I do with our money, what we treasure in this life. Of course, God has given us all things richly to enjoy. That's what Paul wrote to Timothy. See, tell those who have possessions in this world, but don't trust in them and be willing to share with those in need. A citizen of the kingdom is one who doesn't treasure the treasures of this earth, but they're sending it ahead. They actually value God's kingdom and they actually carve out some of their coins and treasures financially and say, God, I want them to be a part of your kingdom and making a difference for eternity. So those things are hard things that he, would, he taught. What we depend upon, ourself or our heavenly father. We heard that it's okay for us to say, God, you took care of the birds, you took care of the flowers, you're gonna take care of me. So I'm gonna trust in you. What we seek after, Jesus said we're to seek at first the kingdom of God. That's the priority of our life. And he wraps it up in verse 12, chapter 7, 1 through 12. Do not judge another person with the same measure you judge. That's what's coming back at you. In verse 12, he said, and do unto others the golden rule. Do unto others what you would want done for yourself. That's the ultimate test of selflessness. Man, I wish people would pray for me more. Well, how about you start praying for people more? I wish people asked how I'm doing, right? You all have those self-pity parties too? We like throw it out there on social media, kind of like little hints of it, you know what I mean? Like something's going on. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, geez, so nice you called. Well, I got 48 hints on Instagram that you wanted someone to call you. Can we all grow up and just like talk in real, real time in real life and stuff? We get some, I want to see your pictures of your golden doodles. I want, to, I want to see pictures of your Packers outfits for getting ready for game day. 
I don't see any Raider stuff on my feed. But I don't want any innuendos. Just call me up. Say what's up, right? Can we disagree as a church? We're going to do that. There we go. Let's start here. And then let's tell our friends to stop doing the same things, right? Uh, how about all these things that Jesus said? Do unto others what he, we would want done for ourselves. Gang, this is a whole new way to live. It's not natural. It's not natural to forgive those that wrong us. It's not natural to pray for those who persecute us. It's not natural for us to live selfless lives. That's why we need to be empowered by God's Spirit to do that. He says, you've heard these sayings of mine. Number two, the one who builds their life on the rock, they believe what God says. And number three, they act on what God says. He says, the wise one who believes, they will actually do what I say. They will actually act upon what I say. No one will ever be perfect. If anybody ever tells you, I'm perfect, I don't sin, throw hot coffee in their lap and see what happens. Or like, oh, I've seen guys say, oh, I haven't sinned in months and months and months. Hey, let me just ask your wife to come on over here. Hey, come on over here, wife. He's been saying that he hasn't sinned. It gets real quiet then. But it's the one, and by the way, Thank God for the grace that covers our mess on this narrow path. Amen? But you keep trying. You keep desiring to hunger and thirst for righteousness. In those moments of weakness, you give in to temptation. God's grace is there to cover. I'm so grateful that his grace is greater than any sin that I could ever stumble on upon this narrow path. So it's never perfection. But the aim is, God, I want to serve you. I've heard what you've said in your word. I've chosen to believe what you've said in your word. And I'm evidencing that in my life by acting upon it, by stepping out, by actually leaning upon God fully for salvation. The one who hears and does is the one who's building her life upon a solid foundation. James says this, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. The rock foundation is evidenced by obedience to Christ. Not a profession of faith, we, we talked about last week. Not a going forward at a Billy Graham crusade. Not going to Hume Lake all summer long, forever and ever and ever. None of that means anything except a hearing God and his truth, believing it, and then acting upon it, stepping out that you actually believe it. Our lives will be subject to testing. Being a Christian does not make us immune to the problems and difficulties. I was going to say, can I hear an amen? But I, I, I'm too, insens too insecure. Do I need a different mic, guys? Do we know what happened? Okay, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, easy for you to say, Josh. Should we take an offering right now? We should take an offering right now. I'm going to continue. The rock foundation is our obedience to testing for sure. Being a Christian does not make you immune to difficulty. Somebody sold us a, 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 a be a Christian and life will get easier, I promise. You're like, you want to go find him and saying, when does the easy thing start again? That's funny because Jesus said, Enter the narrow gate where you got to drop some things off your back, things you can't bring along this journey. And he says, and the way is difficult. Yes, it's difficult. There are difficult things that you and I 
deal with. I love the promises of God's word, like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But there are some ugly promises in the Bible. I can't believe I just said that. But you never see these things on a wall in a house or tattooed on somebody's arm or back. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Has anybody written that one out and said, I want to put that on the cover of my Bible? And yet it's true. What does Jesus say? The rains fell. The floods came. The winds blew on the person's life who's... We suffer loss in this life. We suffer disappointment in this life. We get let down by other human beings in this life, whether that's a parent, a spouse, a friend, someone you're a business partner. That's a part of this journey. We're not immune from those kinds of problems. We don't have a magic wand. In the name of Jesus, all these problems go away. It's not how it works. We face trials. We have the winds of adversity and temptation that come at us. We have the spiritual battles that we face. Paul says we wrestle not with flesh and blood alone. We have a spiritual foe that is after us on this narrow path that we journey on. And yet to have a foundation that is solid in the storms of life that we face is so vital as you're trying to live your life for Jesus Christ. That personal relationship that we have with God, that we have a complete and utter trust in Him. Can I encourage you today? The best decision you could ever make in life is to completely fall back and trust in God with all of your heart. To trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. That is the promise that we have when our life is built upon the rock. What a foundation to build your life upon. To know that even the storms that you face and the difficulties that you face, somehow God gets the most mileage out of the things that he allows in your life. Romans chapter 8, Paul makes this promise. This is a good one. Great tattoo, by the way. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You're going to need a lot of canvas on your body for that verse. It's a big one. All things, the things that the enemy throws your way, the dumb things that you throw your way, how many of you guys could just mess up your life alone? Like, we don't even need a Satan in the world, right? Like, listen, Satan, you can go on, you can go on vacation. Like, I got this. I got this. <laughs> Sad, but true, right? I love what David cried out. We used to sing this song way back, became a Christian in the uh, late 80s. Actually, this Friday will be the 30th year that I actually became a, a follower of Jesus Christ. October 5th, I was a zygote in my mother's womb. I'm just kidding. I was 18 years old. <laughs> I'm like, there, it added up. Yeah, this Friday, October 5th, 18 years. And we used to sing this song about this promise that David had, had written in Scripture. He says, from the ends of the earth, I cry for you, for your help. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the towering rock of safety. We used to sing it, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. My wife and I talk about that and difficulties that we face in life. It's like you go on that rock and it's solid and the storms and the wind and all the stuff that comes our way and you get a perspective, a vantage point of heaven. You get to see, God, you're working all these things out for my good 
for your glory because I'm called your child. I'm called according to your purposes. See, that's the foundation. I can't think of any reason why you would want to build your life on something that will not stand when the storms come in this life and certainly that end time when you stand before God. There's also foundational truths that we need our lives to be built upon. Things what the psalmist said in Psalm 73, something that you and I need to digest again as a church, where the psalmist was going through a difficult time in life as he was envious looking around at everybody else's social media posts. And yet he began with the truth that he acknowledged, truly God is good. You want a foundational truth to give to your kids, those of you that have little ones that are running around, grandkids running around, teenagers in your house. One another that we would encourage is a foundational truth to build your life upon. Truly God is good. John tells us that God is love. Ephesians 1 wraps up and says that God is for us, that he's with us, that he has chosen us. He's adopted us and made us his own dear sons and daughters. And Romans 8 tells us that he's for us. If God is for us, who could be against us? Talk about things that you face in life. You go, God, I'm going to fall back on these things. You know what happens in storms, by the way? Sometimes you cry. This doesn't mean that we just look at difficulty and we say, nope, better suck it up, right? Child of God can't cry. No. We enter heaven with tears. That's why the Bible says that he's going to wipe every tear away from our face. It's a difficult life. It doesn't mean you're not going to have questions. As you journey on this narrow path and say, God, why? Have you ever gotten the answer? We may never get the answer. We need to be careful that we don't become those like, when I get to heaven, before I take a step into that place, I want Jesus to come out and meet me on that porch, and I want to ask him a couple things. Why would you let this go on? Creator of all the universe. (laughs) Sovereign God who knows all things from the beginning to the end. Because my, you know, finite mind's got to know before I come into paradise. I can't believe some of the dumb things that we'll ever say to God. But it doesn't mean we don't question. You know what what the best thing to do as a child of God walking on this narrow path? Is that when you come against things in your life where you just don't understand, and we all face them, situations go, I I don't get this, God. I don't see how this could, like, work out. People use language like, how could a God of love, right? All these kinds of things. Is that when you come against something that you just don't understand, you have to fall back on what you do understand. Those foundational truths. Truly, God is good. God is love. God is with me. God is for me. And you hang on to those things. Your life is your house in this parable that you're building upon. What's the foundation? The contrast between a citizen of the kingdom and the religious leaders is in view here. Those who've trusted in Christ, received him as Lord and Savior, their foundation is rock solid. And the final storm referred to is our death as we stand before God and it will reveal what we are trusting in. And a believer's life is trusting on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And it's evidence in our life that genuine faith through obedience and desiring to live for him, the one who saved us, the one who hears my words and does them. They're wise, and it says, but the house did not fall, yet the, the foolish builder 
He hears God's word too. But he doesn't truly believe what God says. And he shows that because he didn't act upon what God says. If I tell you, like, do you believe this chair? This, it's not even a chair up here. Never mind. Like, Gordon's seen stuff. <laughs> the chair you're sitting in, like, hey, listen, man, do you believe that that chair could hold you up? Like, yeah, I believe it. How could you prove that that chair will hold you up? How can you show that you actually have faith in that chair by actually sitting down in the chair? There's many that say, like, oh, I believe Jesus is God. I believe he rose from the dead. But they haven't fallen back in complete trust and surrendered their total lives to him. They're a fool building their house on a foundation of sand. Because I don't believe what he says, I won't act. They might affirm that this is good, this is true, but belief means that they act. James says that faith without works is dead. It only exposes that that person thinks it's true, but they genuinely do not believe and they're not building their lives upon it. It's not that he sought out the worst possible foundation to build upon. It's just he took no thought about what he was doing. He didn't think about, as he was adding religion to his life, oh, I had to go to church. I had to listen to some sermons. I had to sing some worship songs. I should get a Christian tattoo on my body. And yet, <clears throat> didn't think, is this foundation really Jesus Christ? He heard about life in the kingdom, according to Jesus. He affirmed it is right and good to not judge another, to seek first the kingdom, to live for eternal things, to store up treasures in heaven. He would say, yes and amen, I believe all those things. Let me ask you, if your doctor told you, hey, listen, fella, you're out of shape and you need to get some things straightened out in your life, what would you do? You would hire Judge Judy. I thought that was my heart. <laughs> Like the, the scene of King Kong, like, oh, I guess this is it. Sorry, guys. See you later. Man, it scared me. Should I be worried right now? The guy who's supposed to back, be back there is not back there right now, so I'm worried. Doctor said, you lawyer up. You hurt my feelings, doctor. I can't believe that you would be so mean to me. There we go. Now I can stop yelling. No, you might say, you know what, doctor? Perhaps you're right. I should lay off the sweets. I've got to lay off the sweets. Hey, doc, why don't you take a long walk off a short pier while you're at it? You see, you could believe the doctor's assessment. He's like, hey, your heart sounded like that thing that happened in church. It's not good. It's not good. Your heart is crying out for my help. <laughs> Please help me. And you're like, oh, I get it, man. Oh, doctor, you're so right. You and Judge Judy go buy Judy's donuts on the way home. That's what he's saying. You might even desire to change, but you don't do anything about it. What does the doctor know anyways, right? This foolish man heard, but does nothing. He doesn't truly believe. He doesn't act on what he hears. He's like a man who built his house and his life on the sand. Everything looked the same on the outside, right? Same neighborhood. Same porch, same man cave. The foolish man cave had Tom Brady posters everywhere, different than the wise man's. But gang, they're both in church. They both heard the same sermons. They loved the same worship songs. They both gave tithes and offerings. They both bowed their heads in prayer. Sometimes the gospel message, it needs to be heard in the church because according to Jesus, there's a lot of lost people sitting in churches across this globe. 
feeling like they're secure because they're with safe things. And they're building their life upon external things. And their foundation is sand. They don't have a genuine relationship with God by faith. And guess what? They both, ex- they both experienced the same tests and stress on that house. The fool seemed like he was in a hurry. The wise man, same story in Luke's gospel, chapter 6. It says he dug down deep till he found a rock foundation. And there he began to build. But the foolish man was in a hurry. You don't hurry into important things in life, by the way. You don't hurry into a marriage, a war, which could be one and the same, or a business deal. You take your time. You think about it. You lay a foundation of rock, and that's how you build upon it. Clearly, what's going on is he's talking about those inside and around the church, those who listened on this Sermon on the Mount day, to these sayings of mine. Everything looks the same, yet their foundation isn't Jesus Christ. It's built on religion and no relationship with Christ or some other form of trust. A lot of people trust, I'm a good person. The Bible says that there's no one good No, not one. It doesn't mean you and I don't do good things. It just means that your goodness doesn't cancel out your wrongness or mine. If being good was an option to get heaven's access, we wouldn't look down through the corridors of time and see a perfect man, bloody and naked, hanging upon a cross 2,000 years ago if being good was an option. It's not an option. That's why the Sermon on the Mount began with, blessed are the poor in spirit. They recognize they're spiritually bankrupt. There's nothing you and I could bring that could ever cause God to say, you did enough, you get in. That's not how it works. They built their life on a foundation of sand, religion. Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. That's what he told us as we studied last week. Now is the time for self-evaluation. Not when the storms come. Not when that final storm comes where you stand before Almighty God. There is no mulligan. There is no control-alt-delete in that moment. Right now, the decisions that you make about Jesus Christ are cemented for eternity. I don't care what anyone tries to tell us or sell us. You read God's Word and you read the very words of Jesus right here, and there's no way you could believe anything otherwise. The real foundation of our lives is hidden, but it's proved in the storms of life, and in the end, death. Proverbs 10 says, verse 25, when the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly have a lasting foundation. Can I ask you, do you have a lasting foundation this morning? Are you trusting in Christ alone for salvation? Trials often prove whether one's faith is real or if it's false. And the final test, by the way, is before God, where our lives are shaken and tested. The rain comes, the floods rise, the wind picks up, that final test being death, and then it's revealed the whole time our life was built on a faulty foundation. And he says, great was its fall. Great was its fall. The foundation of sand, that person's life is swept away. Today is the day to ask, what am I trusting in? What's my foundation I'm building my life upon? There's only one that can save us, and it's Jesus Christ. You must allow him to be Lord of your life, knowing God personally, 
Many people have a faulty foundation. It's my spouse is a Christian. My grandpa is a pastor. I have a friend who goes to church, or even church itself becomes that sort of false assurance. I go to church. I try to be good, but it's not in him. Better to discover now that your life is being built on the sand because you have an option to make a change. Have you entered the narrow gate? There's a cost involved in that. You lay your life down. It's a difficult life, but it leads to eternal life. What is your hope in this morning? What is your hope in today for eternal life? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that we have already laid, Jesus Christ. There's an old hymn that says, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. What is our hope? The one who hears God's word, the one who believes God's word, and ultimately acts upon God's word, steps out and trusts in him. If you're a Christian today, it means you've recognized that you're a sinner, that you are poor in spirit, that you cannot earn salvation, you've committed your life to him, you're on the narrow path. I want to encourage you this morning, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, because this journey on this narrow path, it gets crazy, doesn't it? It gets difficult. You can't rely on your own strength. You can't rely on the strength that you gained yesterday from your quiet time. Every day, you and I need to go before God and say, God, this path is narrow. It's difficult. I got, I got some blind spots in my own life. And so, Lord, I need you to give me strength today to keep pressing on. I want to encourage you. You're going to be tested. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. He's a refuge in the storms that we face. He's that rock upon which we can stand, and he's higher than us. And he will give you a foundation that you can make it through the difficulties of your faith. Knowing in the end that this life of following Jesus is the only life, by the way, worth living. It's the only one worth living because of what you and I have our hope in. The hope of eternal life with God in heaven. Can I encourage you, Christian? Make knowing Jesus your master passion in life. Don't let anything else get in the way of knowing God personally. God, my priority in my life is to know you personally. You make that your master passion, and you will find this journey on this narrow path is, is filled with strength and filled with joy even in the midst of times of sorrow. What is one thing on this narrow path, speaking to those of you that are followers of Jesus right now, what is one thing that you have sensed that your Lord is asking you to add to your life? You see, that's the relationship, isn't it? He's the Father, we're His children. He's the Lord, we're His servants. Can I ask you, is there something that He's been asking you to add to your life? We talked about math this morning. Is there something He wants you to add? Maybe more time with Him. Maybe you're just like sort of scurrying out the door in the morning, and you're just like, man, I, I wish I had more time. It's sort of like the... Uh, What's that song, uh, Little Boy Boo and the Man on the Moon? <laughs> so like, you know, when are you coming home, Dad? It's like, time's up. Sorry. And then the kid moves away. We're dealing with that right now. We're moving, our last kid's getting all his stuff. Get my man cave. No, we're sad about it. <laughs> kind of like, can't we go back to your five when you want to watch like uh, Rugrats or something like that? Sorry, Dad. It's <laughs> not happening. Why did I bring that up? Oh, here we go. We have a Heavenly Father. Time is going, man. 
Don't say, 2019, I'm going to make God my priority. Do it right now. Do it today. See, that's what he wants you to add to your life. He might want you to add to your life, go and serve somebody. He's been tapping on your shoulder saying, you need to go and bless them. He might be tapping on your shoulder saying, here's what I want you to add. I want you to sacrificially give. I want you to start giving to my kingdom and storing up, again, who who hears these sayings of mine, treasures in heaven and not here only on earth. That might be something he wants you to add. Christian, he might want you to subtract something from your life. You're like, can I subtract my debt? No. No matter how many little notices they send you. Hey, we'll give you this amount of money. Just call us. Don't call them. He might want you to subtract some sinful thing that has creeped back in your life. Something you got rid of when you were a young follower of Jesus. And now it's back in your world. You think, oh, I can manage it. Listen, it's going to turn into an ugly monster in your life. So you subtract it. It might be a toxic relationship, and you have to subtract it from your life. Do that thing, because those are the kinds of things that draw us closer to the Savior. Maybe you're here this morning as we get ready to celebrate worship God again, as we celebrate baptisms. Maybe you're here this morning, and you realize your life is being built on the sand. You might have a religion on the outside, You might be trusting that you grew up in church. You might be trusting that you prayed some prayer. But deep down inside, you know the foundation of your life is not Jesus Christ, the solid rock, because it's not evidenced with you wanting to do anything towards God. These are the kinds of moments where this is why Paul said, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. And you make a decision. You say, what am I going to do? I've heard your word. Am I going to believe it? Or am I going to disbelieve it? Am I going to act upon it? Or am I actually going to stiff-arm God once again? Can I encourage you this morning? Turn your life over to God. Make this day the day that you become a wise builder, building your life upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What does it look like? Well, millions have done it, dozens in this room. You come to that place in your life where you realize that you're a sinner, that you've dishonored God, you've broken his commands. You read through the New Testament, you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you realize the Pharisees felt good, I haven't murdered anybody. Jesus says, if you have hate, like, oh, dang it, I'm a sinner. You've broken God's commands. You recognize that you're a sinner. You recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. That's the message of the gospel. Religion is let's reach up to God and try to reach him. The gospel says God reached down and became a man, lived a perfect life that none of us could live, ultimately to lay his life down on the cross. That's why the Bible tells us, for God made him, Jesus, who never sinned, to become the sin offering for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Translation, you and I have a bankruptcy of sin in our account Jesus has perfection and a gazillion dollars, if you would. And he willingly exchanged all of that for all of your sin. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he absorbed all the wrath that sin deserved for every human being. Not just for the little tiny, cute little messiahs in the other room. We think like, oh, they're so great. (laughs) Believe what you want to believe. (laughs) Right? but for the Jeffrey Dahmers of this world, right? Those that need to be locked away on some hidden island, right? Away from society. Christ loves, 
Christ died for, guess what? Offers eternal life to. See, that's the gospel. You realize that Jesus Christ died for your sins. You make a decision to repent of your sin. It means you turn from it. It means that you're going in this direction. I'm living my own life in the gospel, and Jesus says and calls you to make a about face, a 180, and say, God, I'm going to go towards you. That's what it means to repent, to change direction. And then you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know that happens here in this room every single month? It happens all across this globe as people bow their knees or sit in a church, and they genuinely say, God, I want to ask you to come into my life and make me a follower. I want to be a wise builder. Today I'm going to act upon your word. You call me to turn from my sin and repent. Today I'm making that decision to turn and repent and be a follower of yours. Our team's going to come. They're going to lead us in some worship this morning. I'm going to pray. I'm going to also encourage you to go receive prayer during this last song. Also after our service, maybe there's some stuff you've got going on in your world, your life, and you want prayer for, but what we're going to do now, we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to bless the remainder of our service. Would you join me right now? Father, thank you, Lord, for your grace and your love. Lord, you are good. Your, your word tells us that, God. The psalmist discovered that once again, going through a difficult time. He said, Lord, I know that you are good. God, we know that you are love. God, we know that you're with us. We know that you're for us. God, those are foundational truths that my friends right now want to continue to build their lives upon. And Lord, I want to say thank you today that Jesus, you are enough, and what you did on the cross and how you rose from the dead three days later is enough to provide salvation for the entire world. And God, there are many in this room that made that decision to enter the narrow gate, to jump on that narrow path that leads to eternal life when they bowed their hearts, when they trusted in you, and it starts showing up in their life as they seek to obey you and your word. Lord, would you bless and encourage my friends? God, there are some that are going through radical difficulty right now. I pray a covering over their life. I pray a blessing over their life. I pray, God, that their eyes would look directly up to you from whom our salvation comes. I also pray, God, there might be one person here this morning. God, there might be a dozen people here this morning. And God, this morning, as their hearts are stirred, they recognize that their lives are built on sand. And Lord, what a frightening moment that is. And God, what a blessed moment it is to come to that knowledge that there's nothing that we could do. In fact, you don't even ask us to do anything except surrender our hearts to you. Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross for my sins and for their sins. Thank you that you offer forgiveness your word says that all who call on the name of the Lord, what a beautiful name it is, shall be saved. Lord, would you bless those right now that need you, that need to have their lives built on the rock. God, show them their need for you, God, your incredible love for them. And Lord, right now, uh, friends, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to talk to you for a second. If today's a day that you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ, you want you want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you die, that you're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. If that's you, I want to give you an opportunity to pray with us now. I want you to lift up your hand. I want you to hold it up high in place, right where you're sitting. And we're going to tell God together, right where you're sitting, what you want him to do in your life. Anybody here this morning, you want your sins forgiven. You want to begin a relationship with God by faith. You want to make sure your life is being built on the solid rock a foundation that is sure and not the sands of religion or effort or any other form of trust. 
If that's you, I want you to lift your hands and let me pray for you right now. Anybody here this morning, you're ready to surrender your heart to him. Lift your hand up. Hold it up high. And people are praying for you right now. God loves you so much. You right now sense that God is stirring in your heart. I want you to lift your hand. Anybody here this morning? I'm looking around. This room is dark, but I can see hands going up. If you want your, to receive Jesus, lift your hand this morning. Anybody here today? Man, he loves each and every one of you. Anybody here this morning? Well, Lord, right now, I just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing in our church, God. Many, Lord, are seeking you on this narrow path. Would you strengthen them? Father, there are those, God, even now that you've, we're going to celebrate their lives as you've touched their lives, God, as you've drawn them to you, Father. We see their stories on the screen, God. What a blessed opportunity we have, God, to celebrate. Father, would you use RBC as a, on this narrow path that we would be those that would be calling out to our friends and loved ones that there is a God in heaven who loves them dearly, that we would be the salt of the earth, we would be the light of the world, God. We love you, Jesus. We praise you, God. We pray that you would be honored and glorified in the rest of our service today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's all stand. Let's close in a song of worship as we get ready to celebrate lives changed. Mm -hmm.